Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. In today's episode, we sit down with Shazad Bhatti to discuss retail and payments. The topics that we cover are trends in retail post-COVID-19, both online and offline, software solutions that enable e-commerce, the importance of seamless delivery and the role of aggregators, creating customer experiences to gain a competitive edge, payment processing options for retailers, including payment gateways and point-of-sales machines, and finally, trends within retail payments. Shazad is the founder and CEO of The Co Dubai, which is the first co-working space and incubator in Dubai for startups. Since its beginning, Shazad has helped to connect entrepreneurs with mentors, investors, freelancers, and the government. Most recently, The Co Dubai has launched the first retail accelerator in the country. And without further ado, let's jump straight to today's episode. Shaz, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. So you're the first guest to appear on Spark, and I think that's quite befitting given that you're one of the early enablers of innovation here in Dubai, and you you founded the first co-working space for startups. So I'm wondering if you could start by telling the listeners a little bit about the Code Dubai, how you work with startups, um, and perhaps a little bit on the retail accelerator program I know you operate out of there. Yeah, sure. I mean, once again, you know, thanks for having me, uh, Shireen. Excited to be your first guest and thanks for all the pressure. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, we launched the Code Dubai almost six years ago now. And when we initially launched, it was very much a business center model where you know you had physical workspace, someone could take a space and it kind of ended at that. And quite quickly, I learned that there was a huge demand for additional support and really it's building a community around just beyond the physical workspace and of course you know five six ten years ago the the co-working concept was picking up in the us and the uk and we were lucky enough to identify that new model of working and bring it to dubai and we were one of the first co-working spaces to be certified by dubai sme and that's now evolved into a business incubator which goes beyond just a physical workspace but it helps and educates startups on how to launch their business and how to grow their business and going to your point about the retail accelerator program it's one of the first in the region and we saw a huge huge support network and ecosystem for for tech startups and and for you know someone launching an app or a fintech business but there wasn't really much support for retail startups whether you're a fashion designer whether you're launching a food concept whether you're launching a product a beauty product line and we created this accelerator program which helps them develop the idea it helps them launch their online and offline business, uh, retail strategy and it helps them with all of the different elements of being able to sell a product without having to have the heavy investment that Dubai uh is a requirement for you to launch a business which isn't really favorable to retail startups uh, and we've had a huge success we launched in august last year we've already got 20 startups on board and we're reaching the end of the first year uh cycle um and it's quite a long program compared to a lot of other accelerator programs it's a, it takes a year um and we've seen some really exciting concepts uh, already on board so i'm excited to share those with you uh, fantastic soon. Yeah. Shaza, I'm I'm wondering how has 
COVID affected the offline strategies of the companies who've been a part of your program? Um, completely shut them down. <laughs> oh, so we we've always gone in we've always gone in with the strategy of uh, pop-ups and retail concessions within existing retail stores. So that could be a retail activation within a department store. It could be a retail pop-up kiosk within an existing mall. That's always been our traditional Mm -hmm. uh, retail, physical bricks and mortar retail strategy for startups in Dubai, just simply because it doesn't make sense to open up your own shop when you haven't had a proof of concept. And all shops were closed, all malls were closed, and there was not really anything to do about that. So it's been quite tough for those. But the exciting thing is e-commerce, because that's completely boomed for everyone. And it's kind of been a big wake-up call, especially for, for our slightly more mature entrepreneurs to realize that, hey, we were relying on department stores and we were relying on retail activations to sell our products. We cannot do that anymore. We need to have a strong e-commerce strategy. What are some of the online tools out there, whether they're platforms or payments processing, that you recommend the startups here in the Middle East avail in order to help them transition from offline to online or really just build from online at the get-go? I, if, if, you know, if anyone follows me or watches any of my videos, I am very much a WordPress, WooCommerce uh, website guy. Uh, I know Normally, most entrepreneurs, startup uh, retail concepts will automatically go for Shopify because it's easy. It seems quite, um, you know, it does the job. But for me, WooCommerce and WordPress is a lot more advanced to build your online web store. Um, and, you know, in the end, it's a lot more cost effective and you can, you can manage a lot more through WooCommerce. But I have to say Shopify is probably less technical and it's probably easier to do on your own so there's always a huge debate for me between woocommerce and shopify which is the platform to build your website so i've never heard of woocommerce that's really that's, that's quite interesting wow. I should look you've heard it. you've heard of wordpress of course yes so um, wordpress is a platform traditionally for blogging websites but they've supercharged it with this plugin feature for woocommerce which allows you to build a shoppable online store. And it's great. Very I mean, it does the job. It's just a little bit more technical. But I think they're also, you know, Shopify's had a huge, huge surge in investment. Stock prices are completely surging since since COVID uh, because everyone is building their online store. So I feel that WooCommerce is also on the back of that, going to try and bring in some innovations. The um, issue would be with using um, big platforms is ensuring for the for any, anyone who wants to process payments here in Dubai, that that platform's payment processing, let's say partner, is able to process AED transactions and, tra- and remit the money here. I actually read online that during COVID, Facebook rolled out something called Shops in order to encourage people to use the Facebook platform as, a, as their e-commerce front. And DoorDash, that is a Deliveroo equivalent abroad, released their equivalent of storefronts for restaurants called storefronts. I'm wondering, because I know that the Co. has a FMB incubator in London as well, if you've seen different trends take place between the outlets in London versus the outlets in Dubai, bearing in mind, of course, there are different industries. We're talking FMB and retail. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're, we're quite clued up with the you know startup food industry in Dubai as well. And, and we, we're quite involved with that in different ways. Not, you know, we don't have a kitchen incubator here yet. 
stay tuned. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but we've seen the biggest trend, of course, has been delivery. All of the noise coming from the from the restaurant and food industry is all about uh, the delivery aggregators, so Deliveroo, Zomato, Uber Eats, etc., and how they're charging extortionate fees and how they are, you know, it doesn't make sense for a business, for a food business to be able to completely rely on Deliveroo to sell, essentially be a sales channel. So the big trend right now, especially in the UAE, is uh, having um, a food delivery channel that is self-managed or using free versions. So there's one called chat, chatfood.io, which essentially does things similar to Deliveroo, but it doesn't charge uh, the huge uh, commissions that Deliveroo charges. Interesting. Okay. There's, a, there's actually a complete science and calculations that go into food businesses in terms of mm-hmm. how much they can discount, what the commission is charged by an aggregator. But fundamentally, the, the, you know, the debate there is, well, Deliveroo is spending millions and millions of dollars on advertising, getting traffic to their app, making and presenting your food menu in front of customers in your local neighborhood. And that 30%, if you were going to spend that on your own internal marketing and advertising, you would never get that kind of exposure. So there's that debate where if you're spending the 30% equivalent that you're actually paying to the delivery apps or whatever the commission is on your internal marketing, you still probably wouldn't get as many mm. sales as you do through Deliveroo. So that's mm. the big that's the big uh, hot topic on food delivery at the moment. I've been reading that on the notes of the middleman, so platform businesses, there's a lot of scrutiny in general about is the middleman even required because they take such a big chunk and cut and that extends beyond food and delivery. We're talking even ride hailing. Uh, you were going to add, Chaz? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, there is a demand for, there is, of course, a demand for for aggregator apps because in theory, they are spending, you know, like I said, millions on advertising and they're getting traffic. If, for example, Airbnb, in London, we have a short stay accommodation. We have, uh, you know, six studio apartments, which are rented to holiday makers and business travelers. And we're literally fully booked only through uh, Airbnb. We would never get that. We would never get those bookings if we had a booking platform on our website alone. Mm. And we pay. Airbnb is different. The commissions are, are minute compared to Deliveroo. You know, and food business and hotel business is, is very different as well. Um, but it's a it's a hot debate, and things are changing big time right now. And I think Deliveroo and the likes are going to have to wake up. Uh, we're seeing some trends in the UK. So Deliveroo is offering options where customers can come and pick up the order from the cafe or the restaurant instead of having a Deliveroo driver. So then they reduce the Deliveroo fees because essentially there's not a person on a bike picking up and dropping off. So there's certain things I think they're trying out. But yeah, time will tell, I think. Very interesting. So Shaz, have you gone to the mall yet here in Dubai? I have. I mean, we're, we're located in downtown Dubai, <laughs> so we're, course, yeah. we're just across the bridge. So I used to, you know, before Corona, I would have, I would walk over and try and have a lunch there if the weather was nice and I could get some time off. But I have been, when did I go? I have had, you know, I've had my own experiences with online and offline purchases in the last three months. And I can sit here and I can vent. Uh, <laughs> I think fundamentally it comes down to delivery and logistics. I mean, in the UK, we can order anything online. It will be delivered within two days without a hassle, without any kind of additional delays or requirements in in usual circumstances. In Dubai, for some reason, you can order something, and these are from huge, huge retailers, Carrefour, 
for example, I've ordered something, you know, just groceries. I'm still waiting for my order and it's been three months. Whenever I contact customer, customer services, it's never really, nothing is resolved. So, you know, it's minimal amount, but that experience has turned me off of ordering online from Carrefour. Similar experience with Zara. I ordered something, I received a delivery date immediately, and then the delivery date was postponed. Okay, I understand, you know, we're, we're living in, you know, really unique times. So you give it, you give them that, but no update, no email. And when you contact the customer support, they don't really help you. It's like, it will be delivered within two weeks. So I think over here, I've, I've, I went to the mall because I couldn't order that stuff online and it was just easier to order it uh, to go and pick it up in the store. But with the small businesses, the e-commerce startups, I've seen amazing services. So, you know, I ordered something on through a small boutique on Instagram. They do home and gifts products. I ordered on a Thursday. I messaged them on Instagram to say, oh, I can perhaps come and pick this up from you uh, if I, you know, I was eager to get the product. And they said, yeah, sure you can, or we can deliver it. And I ended, I didn't end up uh, picking it up. So from a customer point of view, I made an interaction which was complicated and Sunday morning, first thing in the morning, it was delivered to me. So from that Thursday to Sunday, including the weekend, perfect experience, perfect user uh, customer journey with a small business. Why do you think it is that a small business is able to appease its customer so eloquently, whereas a big multi-conglomerate like MAF who owns Carrefour is not able to? Uh, technology. First of all, of course, a small business won't have the need for such huge CRM platforms and data and integrations with delivery, logistics and what have you. Whereas a small business will receive an order on their website. They'll get a notification most likely on their app. They'll find the stock and arrange it for, to, for it to be delivered. Uh, you know, as moving forward to kind of not from a micro business, but to a SME type of e-commerce, they may have slightly, you know, they may have a bigger team that can devote more time to each order. I think with the with the big guys, they rushed to implement all of these logistics uh, platforms only within the last few years. And when the last three months of Corona happened, it wasn't able to upkeep with all of the orders that were happening. But you know, in the Middle East, I think we have a very big mall culture. And no matter how sophisticated and seamless online delivery will get, I think people will just want to go to the mall, whether it's to shop and try clothes on themselves or to eat at the F&B outlets. How do you see brick and mortar changing in the next year, let's say? So in the region right now, it's relatively easy to go to a mall. Generally, most malls have free parking. They're very, very big and you, you know, have multiple entrances. So the user journey there, the customer journey there is a lot more, it's easier. And of course, the mall's in the UAE and in, in, in the region are on steroids. They have amusement parks and cinemas and some of the best restaurants and cafes in the world. Whereas if we look at somewhere like London, malls are much smaller. Parking is, you know, relatively expensive. You know, for you to go there, find parking, a tiny parking space and pay per hour, that adds on an additional cost. Most people are taking the metro. So they, for them, they'll have to also you know, take the train commute there. So it's a very different experience. In the UK, it's easier just to buy online because it will be delivered to your door and you don't need to do the commute. In this region, our commute is much easier and is a lot more luxurious, for lack of a better word. But this is a, this is a huge debate that's been going on for years. How do malls, how do retailers make themselves relevant in, in, a, in a booming in an e-commerce, in a digital environment. So I think it's about the customer experience. It's about the um, 
it's beyond just buying the product. It's about getting the experience. If I go into a luxury store and you know people recognize me and I've purchased there before, they may perhaps know my name. They may welcome me. You get a coffee. You know, small things here and there. Officially, it's called clienteling, where they give you that whole experience. Whereas I really I like go, it when they give me coffee. In exactly, store. <laughs> of course. No, of course. That goes without saying. If you're going to spend a lot of money in a high-end store, you expect that kind of service, especially if it goes into wedding gowns and jewelry and something even more high value, you don't get that kind of experience in uh, unas.com or netaporta.com. You'll get a nice box and delivery parcel, but it's not really the same of being, let's say, wined and dined. You know, it's like a relationship. And also it's about the malls creating experiences, which a few months ago we had amazing concerts and uh, in happening in malls. And we had, you know, all of these celebrity events and you know activations with performers and it was you know the malls were becoming the new theaters and the, the the new stages where performances were happening right now i don't know how that's going to happen or when that's going to come back but they were on the right track in this region on in keep in retaining traffic and in keeping people engaged but then the question there would be are they coming to the mall for shopping and buying products, or are they coming to the mall for everything else, the food, the entertainment? So on the note of customer experience, let's let's talk about how mass market retailers like H&M, Zara can pass the experience onto their customers. I've actually come across some companies who utilize facial recognition. So that technology would be put in the stores to recognize the customers walking in and inform the sales staff who they are and to approach them based on previous history and previous interactions they would have had. There's a company called Facenote that does that. Yeah. First of all, I mean, security risks aside, not security risks, <laughs> but data, let's say Privacy, data. yeah. Privacy. I don't think everyone wants, you know, Zara to have their face, you know, their face record within their system. I personally think we're still at the stage of very human interaction. That's what's going to make a retail store stand out where you have retail staff who is a educated and trained up on the products and are friendly and have a relationship with their customers. And again, we're looking at this as a retail, a very traditional retail concept, you know, a store which is selling products. There's the wider aspect where it's restaurants and hospitality and, you know, hair salons and, and things like that. It's about building a relationship with your customer, a, a genuine, valuable relationship where you can interact with them on a human level. I think that's, is what, that's what's still standing out today. In the future, there's lots of tech out there. I haven't really seen anything implemented in a strategic way. I think there's certain things which are, which are done as a novelty. You know, a few years ago, you could go into certain stores like Do or certain hotels and there'll be a robot that will come to you, even some government locations. A robot would come to you with an iPad and it was a novelty item. But that hasn't really come into practice where it's not really, it's easier just to speak to someone and get your answer and have that experience. Oh, if you're referring to ENBD's Eva, that oh, that's, that's, I think it was that one as well. Yes. I mean, there's a novelty of it, which is exciting and it gets people's attention. But is that going to build a long-term relationship? Yes. I mean, online, once you have a user's account, 
and you have their history. Amazon, for example, is able to recommend based on their algorithm. In a retail environment, there are certain you know, CRM and client telling platforms which you can you know, integrate. It can be as simple as having a tablet and putting in their information, but I just don't know if we're there yet. Given how much I shop on Nemshi, let's maybe pick on one retailer, they always seem to recommend clothes that really don't match my style, my preference, my taste. And sometimes they miss out on the itch I have to purchase something on the spot just mm-hmm. because I happen to scroll a bit too much to find something to buy. Yeah. So Shaz, let's talk a little bit about the demonization of cash. And I guess this is relevant for all industries. Um, but given how much retail has been affected by COVID, really companies who profit from POS and taking commissions on points of sales devices in stores have suffered. Is there any innovations you see or new ways of retail stores being able to manage their cash flows in a way that can support their businesses, particularly when companies like Square, who are a POS processor in the US, have been doing things like extending the number of days with which they withhold payments? I mean, I have... my own issues in the region, specifically the UAE with banks and payment gateways. So first of all, it's so difficult for a micro business to, to open up a bank account. And this is an ongoing debate, again, with the government, with the banks, with the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Why, if someone just wants to open up a simple business account to receive payments, not asking for a loan, not asking for a credit card, why is it so difficult? And there's been many reports and many in um, you know research from initial, from departments, government departments, so Dubai SME, Dubai Chamber, and they've given recommendations to the industry, and it just doesn't seem to be you know working. It takes us on average three months for a new micro business to to open up a bank account, which is unacceptable in my opinion. So that's the first stage for a, for a micro business to be able to open up their bank account to even receive the payment. The next issue is getting the payment gateway. Now, we've seen a huge surge in payment gateways uh, in the region. Uh, we work with TAP Payments, which is a QAT-based payment gateway. So the payment gateway is the, 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 the processing feature, which allows you to take payments on your website, but also allows you now to send links to your customers so that they can pay on their phone via a, an SMS link or an email link. So we've seen a huge surge in there. And that's, you know, that's been there for a number of years. Some of them are relatively easy to sign up once you have a trade license. Some of them take a little bit longer, but on average, you can get it done within a few weeks. Now, the innovation we're seeing is in the installment payment processes. So this is something we've seen in the last few months in the, in, in the, in the UAE. And I guess the last two years in the UK and the US. So we have uh, Klarna, which is, a, again, it's a payment processing payment gateway, which integrates with most websites. And at the checkout point, instead of paying for the items, it allows the customer to pay in installments. So that could be in two weekly installments or four weekly installments up to, I think, two months, depending on the payment gateway. And it's a great way to get the, the value of the basket size, to increase the value of the basket size for each purchase, because essentially the customer now has two weeks, one month, two months to pay that off. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been hugely successful in the UK, and we're now seeing payment providers uh, in the region. So we have PostPay and Tabby Pay. I think it's called Tabby Pay in the region, who both have had uh, huge investments, and we're starting to see now the pickup from 
uh, retailers installing this on their e-commerce platform. In the physical capacity, in a physical bricks and mortar industry, we haven't seen huge innovations. You know, of course, the biggest one in the last one or two years is contactless payment, if you can call that, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that is an innovation. Um, so that's becoming norm. Uh, everyone should is accepting contactless payments. But as a micro-sized business, it's still very hard to get a payment uh, machine. Yeah, I know it's hard to get it, expensive to get it. Uh, you have to put the deposits down. I've seen some companies who are trying to tackle the application of easy installment payments that you mentioned, but at the POS point of sale purchase mm-hmm. time. So they actually would make their own POS machines, would go to retailers and and say, hey, use our machine. Firstly, you'll be able to process payments normally, but also offer easy installment payments to your customers, thereby encouraging customers to increase the basket size and whatnot. On the point of contactless, I actually recently found something quite interesting in the news whereby MasterCard have used your phone to make your card appear on the POS machine by way of virtual and augmented reality and process your payment that way. So it's kind of a cross between contactless, but it's not Apple or Samsung Pay. It's using your bank's credit card as the intermediary. Oh, nice. I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, MasterCard Visa, they're always coming up with innovations. You know, their, their, their job is to get rid of cash, full stop. You know, and, uh, you know, there's many, there's many conferences that I've been to for you know, uh, for payment processing and, you know, retail and tech. And when MasterCard or Visa's, you know, have a spokesperson there, they very clearly say our objective is to get rid of cash. We will only want people to use cards. And yeah, they're, they're always coming up with ways to, to make that happen. Corona has definitely accelerated for sure, that. For sure, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Chaz, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciated thank your insights you on, me. can you please tell our listeners how they can follow you, watch your videos, follow the code Dubai and learn more about the co-working space. Yeah. So uh, you can visit our website, coworking.ae. And we've got all our, all the information on our physical workspaces, our accelerator programs and our co-working memberships there. And follow us on Instagram, uh, the Dubai, And we release uh, business tips and uh, video business tips. And that's where we promote all of our webinars and our uh, events that we're hosting. So that's the best way to keep in touch with us. Thank you very much for your time. Have a good day, Shaz. Thanks for tuning in today. If you were inspired by our discussion, I invite you to become a patron of Spark for as little as the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month. Through your support, we'll be able to continue to produce fresh new content on a regular basis. As a thank you, we'll provide you with exclusive additional content. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash sparkwshereen to make a one-time or monthly contribution. Also, don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshereen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshereen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.